This episode of the History Replays Today podcast is brought to you by River City Segs, the premier Segway tour company in Richmond, the only Segway tour company in Virginia with an indoor Segway-specific training area. Find out more information at rivercitysegs.com. Give a call at 804-343-6105 or find out information about seasonal special tours. Uh, discounts on Facebook, River City Segs, on Twitter, at 804-SEGS. Most importantly... Always practice safe sex. This is the History Replaced Today podcast. My name is Jeff Major. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you are well wherever it is you are listening to this. This episode is going to have a conversation with Chris Sumner, the curator at the Poe Museum here in Richmond. does a really incredible job of laying out Poe as a human being, not the cartoon character that we've all kind of grown to, to know and love about Edgar Allan Poe. Um, you know, my favorite parts of the conversation is when we were talking about him as a little kid, and he calls him Eddie. Little Eddie running around Richmond. Um, gets real nice and uh, personal like that. Um, he's also going to dispel some of the, the myths, some of the best-known stories about um, Poe. Are they or are they not true? There's some pretty wild ones out there. Um, did he swim six miles upriver in a heavy current in the James? I mean, I've heard it. I've heard it. You'll find out if it's true or not. Did he get kicked out of West Point by showing up to drill naked? Or there's some variations on that story. Some are going to say that uh, he was wearing just his socks. Some say he was completely naked. Um, some are going to say that he's actually wearing a single sock and not on his feet, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, the Poe Museum, if you've never been, you should definitely go check it out. Especially right now, they have a really incredible exhibit um, about Poe in Paris. It's um, works by Manet, Matisse, Radon. Uh, it's about... Poe in, you know, his influence on the arts in the last half of the 19th century. As Poe is not just, a, you know, famous in Richmond or famous in the United States. I mean, he's a, he's a worldwide force. Um, and we're going to discuss that some. That's up until uh, September 8th. Uh, so don't, uh, September 8th, 2013, by the way. Um, so don't, you know, don't, don't wait, though. Go now. Start driving over. Actually, before you start driving to the Poe Museum, check out Chris's uh, artwork. He's also a really, really good painter. Um, csumpner.com. C-S-E-M-T-N-E-R.com. One more time. C-S-E-M-T-N-E-R.com. And uh, it was it was really nice of Chris to give me some time. Uh, went, we were at the Poe Museum, went upstairs, um, sat at a very large wooden table. Um, and the, the, the learning process of doing this podcast, I'm learning. I learn every day. And if you stop learning, you die, right? Uh, but one thing I've learned from doing this specific conversation is that if you put the microphone on the table, on a giant table, and you start hitting, touching the table, it's going to make a sound every time. Um, so if you hear a nice doosh, 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 every once in a while, that's what that is. Sorry about that. Um, we're also going to have some, uh, some, some tour groups come through the museum. Proof that people are actually there. You won't be the only one. Um, definitely check it out. Um, but uh, I had a really good time talking to them. 
um, started out bringing up the how many people, uh, Richmonders and you know people from out of town, uh, say that they went to Poe's house when they're discussing the museum, but Poe never actually lived at the museum. The, the old stone house is the center section of the museum. It is the oldest uh, structure in the city. Let's hear Chris tell us where Poe did live and what happened to those houses. Right, his homes are all demolished, so he lived all over the place, right along Main Street at 13th and Main, 14th and Main, 5th and Main, then up, up farther north on 5th Street near Shockerville Cemetery. He lived at 10th and Bank, 11th and Bank, had a place on 7th Street, they are all been demolished. There's even a place in Jackson Ward that was demolished in the 1930s. Huh. And the, I think it's strange that there's, the only one I know of that has a marker is the, I guess, I think it's where Moldavia was, with that 5th and Main. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that, didn't that, from, from what I understand, he didn't live there longer or, I mean, was that like a main home or was well, that just was the last place he lived with the Allens. Okay. So that was his last childhood home. He did come back later in life, lived in different boarding houses, but that was the nicest, the biggest house where he lived the Allens. And his foster father's second wife lived there until the 1880s. So it was well known as the Allen Mansion and long associated with Poe. And so that was something that was really popular. Even in his later years, there was lots of photographs of it because mm -hmm. people knew what it was. There were drawings and paintings people made of it. So, of course, that got demolished in 1890. Okay. And just from, just because it was in terrible shape or just... Yeah, it had fallen into disrepair. It had gone through a series of renters, but it didn't have anybody willing to take care of it. The other downtown mansions that survived were taken over by different clubs like the Garden Club of Virginia and Mm -hmm. and the women's club, but there wasn't anybody willing to take care of this house and preserve it, so it had to go. And so I guess, did he have uh, the kind of fame? I know he was pretty famous when he was alive, but I mean, was there not? Did, was he not famous enough for them to keep these places, or? Uh, he was no? famous, but they didn't like him very much here. Okay. So. They put that plaque there about 1906, and that was about the time that there was a movement to build a statue of Poe in Richmond. They already had a statue of New York in the 1880s, and another bus they built up in 1909, and then in Baltimore they had a statue of him, but in Richmond they didn't really have a statue. So in 1906, the Poe Foundation gathered to just build a statue on Monument Avenue, and they just couldn't get the public or sore. Couldn't get the public support for it, and even the local paper said that Poe wrote some nice poetry, but his character wasn't worthy of being remembered. Wow. And because he's not a good Virginia gentleman, that Virginia should not honor him, so he wasn't going to get his statue. And, and they decided maybe they would build an international Poe Museum to house their collection of things that he used to own, and they thought the perfect place for that would be at the magazine where he used to work, the right. Southern Literary Messenger. Uh -huh. Which so is in 1916, where the, strip the city is now, yeah, right? The city demolished that one in 1916, and now you have a international stripper. Yeah, club. <laughs> a series of them. Yeah, and we, we actually one of our volunteers once was going to write an article for our newsletter, interview some of the strippers, and ask them what it was like working at yeah. historic sites and if they ever felt inspiration from Poe and their routines. But we thought maybe the board wouldn't like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> it definitely would be entertaining, though. Yeah. I imagine that uh, I'd read it. Um, the uh, and is that when? That's not when the one at the Capitol comes in, right? Because I would have loved to see. I mean, it definitely would have made Arthur Ashe not seem quite so weird when people put him up there if he was on Monument already. Mm-hmm. Then the Capitol came in the 1950s. There was a doctor in Philadelphia who thought that Richmond deserved a Poe statue because Poe spent most of his life in Richmond. He always considered his hometown. He referred to himself as a Virginian. So he sent this bronze statue of Poe down to Richmond, and it sat in storage for a couple of years before they finally decided to put it on the Capitol Square where it is now. Wow. And so I guess... Maybe we can even go back there. So he, he is born in Boston, yeah. right? And his parents are actors. Yep. And because I know I've heard his mom a lot of his mom comes here. But what happens with his dad? His father had been through here before. They actually got married. So his parents were married right here in Richmond, the old Henrico County Courthouse. It's no longer standing. It was just a few blocks down the street from where we are now. Okay. And somewhere the father disappeared. We're not exactly sure where. We know his last performance that was reviewed was in New York City, and then after that there was a quick notice that said that Mr. Poe was unable to perform the night before due to a sudden indisposition, which probably means he was too drunk to perform. Yeah. And then he's gone. We don't have any more records of him until Norfolk. There's a letter written by Samuel Mordecai, who was a Richmond historian at the time, mm-hmm. and he wrote to his sister that Mr. and Mrs. Poe have quarreled and parted ways. So they know there's some kind of quarrel, and the father left the mother, and that's all we know. We don't know where he's buried. It was somewhere, probably in some potter's field in some unmarked grave. So there just might not be a record out there. Yeah, I'm going to definitely have to use that next time I have too much to drink. I have too much sudden disposition. Yeah, you're just indisposed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, uh, so, and it's, his mom died shortly after that, right? Like I said, I guess she's performing at the Richmond Theater, yeah. and um, she dies before the fire, right? Yeah, she died just a couple weeks before the fire. Okay. So if she hadn't contracted tuberculosis, hadn't died, she probably would have been in the fire. Yeah, not working out so well for her. No. No. Um, and so he has other... How many brothers and sisters does he have? He has one brother and one sister. Okay. So he's the middle child. He has an older brother, William Henry Leonard Poe. They just called him Henry, and they had a little sister called Rosalie. Okay. And all the kids got split up, so Henry went to live with the Poe grandparents in Baltimore, and little Rosalie went to live with the McKenzie family here in Richmond, and they had homes all over downtown Richmond on Franklin Street, near 5th and Main, and they ended up in a home that's now, it would have been on West Broad Street, sort of near the Lowe's store at Broad and Allen. There's an old Sears store on the one side, there's a street called McKinsey, and the other side's a street called Lodge, and that was the McKinsey's had their home, Duncan Lodge, there. Okay. And what time period is that when his mom dies? When was that? That's December of 1811. Okay. So little Eddie's two years old. And I love that little Eddie, because I think there's that perception, it's hard to imagine, like little kid, yeah. you know, even all these folks, like... Um, not just, you know, Poe, but like, I think George, imagining George Washington as a little kid is always exciting as well. You know, you get these, they're human beings. Yeah, imagine how they used to dress them back then, like little right. girls. So imagine George Washington or Abraham Lincoln dressed up like a little girl. Yeah. And the, uh, I mean, does it seem weird for that time period for them to be split up like that? Or is that like, 
normal back no, then? No, they didn't have any government department that would take care of them, so it's just whoever could step in and take care of the kids did. And the mother had already left the oldest son up in Baltimore, so she just had Edgar and Rosalie with her. Okay. And she didn't have any family in America. Her mother and father had already died. Her first husband died. Her second husband abandoned her. Her acting troupe advertised in the paper that they needed local ladies to volunteer to help take care of her, so they started bringing her meals. And it was really unusual back then for society ladies to associate with somebody like an actress because they thought actresses were trollops. They called the theater the den of harlots. Right. They thought these were loose ladies, but for some reason the Allens and the McKinseys were taking care of Mrs. Poe. And, huh. and even Samuel Mordecai again commented on this strange fashion for taking care of this actress. Wow. And Mrs. McKinsey and Mrs. Allen took in the two kids. And I guess, did they know each other? Like Poe and Henry? Edgar, Edgar and Poe and Henry, did they hang out? Yeah, or well, like they didn't hang out because they lived in different cities, but Henry, right, yeah, I guess Henry visited Richmond twice Okay. while Edgar was a teenager, and then when Poe finally moved to Baltimore, Henry died six months later. Okay. So they got to know each other a little bit, and Henry reprinted some of Poe's poems under his initials, and one of Henry's short stories... The Pirate is based on Poe's experience with his first fiance here in Richmond. His first huh. fiance broke off their engagement while he was away at college. So he came back home from college and found out that she dumped him and he was heartbroken. So Henry wrote a story about this a, a pirate coming home and find out that his beloved has dumped him. And that's um, Elmira that's, Royster? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess Elmira Shelton later on, right? Yeah, her married name was Shelton. Okay. And I mean, so did he hang out with his sister in the city? I mean, was that, was that like a... Well, apparently he thought she was kind of annoying. She used okay. to fall around everywhere, and she would say she just wanted to see the happy expression on his face when he saw her, and he just found she was a little bit of a nuisance. And he did like that she went to local girls' school, because, you know, he went to boys' schools. He went to Burke's and Clark's Academy, and here she was going to the McKinsey School for Girls. So she was perfect as a little courier to sneak those different girls in the school and sometimes sneak him into the school. And he'd give the girls love poetry and candy and drawings he'd make of them. And it was a big hit until they figured out just the same poem over and over again, all the different girls. Nice. That's awesome. I like that. That's a good game. And he... Uh so he's just like a regular boy, right? And yeah. your little sister is annoying, and you're like, you know, I'm trying to do my thing, get out of, get out of here. Yeah, and so he was just a regular kid, like playing in the river, just like kids do today. And and he swam six miles against the tidal currents when he was just 15 years old. And Yeah, and what's up with that? So that's like apparently still the record. Yeah, it's still the record. We had a guy come here a few years back with the swim fins and everything saying he was going to beat it. We never heard from him again. We, Pretty sure he survived. We didn't hear yeah. that on the news, but sure he couldn't make it. Wow! And what, that was a dare. That's, yeah, why, why does he with, do that? It started out with a dare. So a few kids from his academy started, and their headmaster followed them along in a little boat to sort of pick them up if they couldn't go any farther. And Poe's the only one that made it the whole distance. Nice. And it made the newspapers during Poe's lifetime, and he liked to brag about it and. His hero growing up was Lord Byron, who swam the Hellespont, and, and mm -hmm. Poe liked to brag that he, Byron had it easy because he didn't fight against the James River currents. Nice. And so is he, like, uh, what's his body? I mean, because we always see him in movies as something generally like a 
tall, lanky, kind of like yeah, little kind of guy. skinny kid with the big head. So yeah. He said his head was so large because his brain was so big. Yeah. But when he was 18, listed in the Army, he was about 130 pounds and 5 foot 8. So he's about average height for the time. Yeah. His average height is about 5 foot 7. So he's right in there. Yeah. A skinny fellow with sloping shoulders and a really big forehead that sloped. One of his critics said it looked like a snake. Okay. And the, uh, and he, while he's living with the Allens, you know, I mean, is that a good relationship with him or is that? At first it was. They used to call him Ned and Mrs. Allen didn't have any children her own, so she just would lavish him with attention, dress him up in a little velvet suit and a cape and this little two-year-old kid, she would stand up on her dinner table, and by the age of three, she would re- he would recite poetry for her dinner guests, and she was always very proud of his ability to recite Shakespeare and other poets. Very early on, he could read, and people were just amazed by how young he was when he could read, so his foster uncle, Edward Valentine, used to take him out to the little small town surrounding Richmond and have him read the newspaper to people who were amazed, and... Also, Edward Woods, having beat up little kids, they have, you know, they'd, he'd put him in a little contest to fight other kids, so he'd fight those other kids. He was always very athletic. And, yeah. And Mr. Allen really liked him at first, too, because he was very proud of his accomplishments and his education. But then, you know, Edgar became a teenager and maybe became a little bit difficult. And after his first love died, it's Jane Stannard. Mm-hmm. He, was very depressed, might have moped around the house, and Mr. Allen said he couldn't understand this. He says that Poe doesn't show a spark of gratitude for all the charity I've shown him all these years. There's just not one good thing about that boy. And complains that he's sulky and ill-tempered and disrespectful. So this is about the time that Poe was in mourning over his first love. So there's reason he would have been depressed then, but one of his friends grown up, who's his sister's foster brother, John Hamilton McKenzie, said that that was the only time he'd known of Poe being depressed or at all sulky in his childhood was just when he's mourning over his first love. But then that's his friend's mom, right? Yeah, that's his that, best friend's mom. Yeah, and how old? Because I know folks had kids a lot younger than that, but how old is she? Oh, she's about 31. Okay. And he's 15. That's pretty good. Yeah, so she's a little bit older, but he called it the first purely ideal love of my soul. So ah. he thought it was an ideal, unrequited love that and he would write her poetry. She probably thought he was a nice, weird little guy, but mm-hmm. she gave him motherly advice and encouragement. So at a time when Mr. Allen wanted Poe to take over the family business, you know, get some useful skills and go into maybe the export business, she was encouraging him to continue with his poetry because she saw that was his first love. And as early as age 20, he wrote a letter where he said, I know I'm a poet because no one who worships beauty what I do couldn't be a poet. So he always grew up with that idea that he was going to be a poet. Wow. And it's not like poets today, you think, just some guy in a coffee shop, you know, people snapping their fingers back then. A poet was a rock star. There's Lord Byron, who's, they described as mad, bad, and dangerous to know, and he would travel Europe in this black coach, and, and when he was hiding out Lake Geneva from all these scandals, people would go out on the lake and they would spy on him just to see what he was doing, and And Poe wanted to be a rock star, and eventually that's what he became. When he was giving these readings, 2,000 or more people would show up just to hear him read The Raven and his other poems, and sell out crowds. Little kids would recognize him on the street saying, Nevermore, nevermore, he'd flap his arms like a big bird. 
and pretty much everything he did made the newspapers. So when his wife was dying, that made the newspapers. When he joined the Sons of Temperance, that made newspapers around the country. As far away as St. Louis, they were reporting on, oh, Poe joined the Sons of Temperance. Nice. So he got to be their version of a rock star. And so is that the, uh, that's after the Raven though, right? I mean, yeah. does, he, does he, he doesn't really have much fame before the Raven. Well, before, before the Raven, he started out as a poet, so he published three books of poetry before he even published his first short story. The first one wasn't even distributed, they only printed 50 copies. The second one had, you know, modest distribution. The third one, the cadets at West Point paid for it to get published, and they threw a lot of the copies away because they hated it so much. And right. even the copy in our collection, the fellow who owned it scrawled obscenities in the front said it was a big cheat because apparently they expected funnier poetry instead of this poetry about death. And, and was he a funny guy? Yeah, apparently he's a funny guy with a great sense of humor, liked to pray practical jokes on people. And they describe even as a kid, he would pull the chair out from under old ladies that are sitting down at <laughs> the dinner party. So imagine this lady in her fancy dress at one of the Allen's dinner parties and he yanks the chair out yeah. from under her. One of Mr. Allen's business partner's dinner parties, he shows up dressed as a ghost and he scares the ladies, chasing him around the room until, I think it was General Wingfield Scott bopped him over the head with a cane. Nice. Fantastic. I like that. So, I mean, he started out as this poet, but then he made his reputation writing these short stories and as a literary critic initially, he would not just stop at making fun of the writer, he'd make fun of their family and where they came from, especially if they're from Boston, because Boston was the big place to be if you're a writer, and and he called it Frog Pondia, because there are a bunch of frogs in their frog pond, and he called the most famous poets in the country, it was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, quack fog, a legion literary quackery, who had no original ideas, but did a fairly good job of stealing Poe's ideas. Nice. And Washington Irving said it was the most overrated writer in America. James Fenner Cooper couldn't write, couldn't understand plot, and people only liked him because he wrote about American subjects. So it's kind of like people, you know, they like a movie, they go out to see it because it was filmed in Richmond, so they want to see what happens. So he thought that's what people were doing with James Fenner Cooper's books. Right. So a little he, bitter. Yeah, a little bitter. And he liked to call out people he thought were practicing puffery. So people mm -hmm. in the New York scene who were had friends in the magazine world. So somebody would write a book and they get their friends who are literary critics to write reviews of it. And Poe called out one book. Well, the fellow worked at the New York Sun and the same paper wrote a really great review of his book. It looked like he hadn't even read the book. So Poe pointed all this out. So he, even when he's living in Richmond, this small town, about 15,000, he's calling out people in New York where they had 500,000. He's pointing out that they're just full of fluff and they're just puffing each other up. Right. So early on, he's making enemies. And his boss down here, the messenger, said he only read books to make fun of their authors. Nice. So by the time he got to New York, they knew his name. But he's well known among literary circles. Right. With then he published a story called The Murders in the Rue Morgue, and that really, mm -hmm. really popular. It was a first detective story. People were just amazed by it, and they followed that up with The Mystery of Marie Auger and The Purloin Letter, and these things were being reprinted on both sides of the Atlantic, and he made big success, but The Gold Bug was his first really big hit. Right. And his circulation was in all different places published of at least 100,000 copies. Wow. And do you know what year that was? That was 1843. Okay. So he's a middle-aged man. Yeah. Yeah, doing So he's 34 fine. years old, and he's a big success. They even adapt him to a stage play. So it's, today it's like having your movie, your book made into a movie, and he's right. adapting to a play. And 
And does he translate to French? And does he get money from that when they had gotten into a play? No, he like just got a yet? payment for the first publication. Sure. In this case, he so I figured he entered a short story contest, so he made a hundred dollars off of it for winning the short story contest. But he didn't get any royalties for all these other publications. Yeah, that's so he's yeah. famous and people starting to know his name. But with the Raven, he became a household name, right? Because this is a time when people would sit at home at night and. They might read poetry to each other, so there's lots of accounts of people reading the Raven to their family members, and we know that Abraham Lincoln, somebody who memorized the poem and could recite it by heart, and mm -hmm. so it became a big national hit, and that's why he was able to tour the country giving lectures about how to write poetry, and and that's where he made his money, right? Yeah, because he made fifteen dollars off the Raven, but he can make a hundred dollars in one night, which is about a year's rent just right. by reading it. That's awesome, and. You know, they said he was pretty terrifying when he wanted to be. His last private reading was here at Talavera on West Grace Street. Mm -hmm. And they said at the end of the poem, half the people in the room ran and hid. <laughs> but people really started to respect him for being a great poet. Mrs. Allen, the second Mrs. Allen, still didn't want to have anything to do with him. She thought he was a disagreeable subject, so she wouldn't even allow it to be spoken. Right, they never got along, right? The no. second one. Yeah, I never got along with his foster father's second wife. and. The foster father died in 1834, so a year okay. before Poe started working The Messenger, so it's, he missed the chance to see Poe finally start to get successful. Okay. And the, because uh, I want to talk about that, this literary stuff of The Messenger, but another question, people always are excited about the fact that he got kicked out of the military. And, like, that's one of those legends of, like, you know, if you know anything about Poe, you know he wrote The Raven, you know he got kicked out of the military. And I know he was, he first enlisted and went down to what, Fort Moultrie, and then he was at Fort Monroe, I think, right? And then he had himself bought out, right? I mean, yeah. is that? Yeah, he enlisted when he was in Boston. When he was 18 years old, he ran away from home and he said, I want to go out and be a great poet. So he published his first book of poetry, didn't sell, to enlist in the army as Edgar A. Perry. Right. And he lied about his age and lied and about his I mean, what is the, any, is there any indication why he would not use his name? Well, there's a few different theories. One is that they're still looking for that debt he owes out at Charlottesville. He'd run off a lot of gambling debt while he's at the University of Virginia. Okay. And one of his classmates said they saw him in Boston and he begged him not to tell anybody he was there. Another reason could be that he was enlisting in the army. So he was going to be an enlisted man. And he'd grown up with Mr. Allen and Mrs. Allen. Mrs. Allen was from a planter family, the highest level of Richmond society. Mr. Allen's a merchant. So these are the people who, you know, become officers in the army. They're not people who become enlisted men. That was, at the time, for immigrants and the poor. And Poe was poor, but he still thought of himself as being of the Southern aristocracy, even though he really wasn't. Right. He wasn't an heir to Mr. Allen's fortune, and he wasn't an officer, so he enlisted as Private Perry, but in two years' time, he made it where usually it took an enlisted man 17 years to do. He made it to a sergeant major. So he really excelled, and because he was from a different class, because he was very educated, he got along well with his officers, and usually the officers weren't really supposed to hang out with the enlisted men, but the officers really liked him and even helped him get into West Point. Mm -hmm. And they found it for 10 years before him and 10 years after, no other enlisted man had become a cadet at West Point. So it was really oh, wow. unusual. He had to get a lot of letters of recommendation and a letter from the Secretary of War. So 
he knew the right people, made the right connections, and got into West Point as cadet. And he did very well as enlisted man. He was a clerk and artificer, so he mixed gunpowder and explosives, very technical, precise job, which only someone with really good education, good math skills, and engineering skills could have done. So he thought West Point would be a breeze. Right. But then he found out that while he was there, Mr. Allen had remarried, cut him off for good, and, and he just decided to, he was sick of being in the military, so he decided to get kicked out. He stopped showing up to drills, stopped showing up to class, disobeyed orders, accumulated up to merit, so they finally kicked him out. Okay. But so I've heard he never showed up naked to Yeah, okay, I was going to say, that didn't happen. Yeah, that first appears about 20 years after his death, that they start to come up with these stories about what he did. and. And I have all sorts of good stories about him showing up one day and wearing nothing but his socks. Right. But that's not really verified. It turns out a lot of these turn up in the 20s. Okay. So the longer he was dead, the more colorful the stories about his time there got. Wow, that's good. And they're coming from West Point? Or they're... Yeah, a lot of West Point cadets were coming up with them, so just campus legends. Sure. Huh. So there's all sorts of things we think we know that are usually just legends. Like, there's houses all over the place where Poe's supposed to have ridden the raven that didn't even stand during his lifetime. Oh, nice. And then even at UVA, we're not exactly sure that his dorm room was number 13 on the West Range. We just know he was on the West Range, but we don't know which room it was. Ah, and they have that all set up, right? Yeah. You can go and, like, tour and take a look. and Yeah, you can go push a button and it can play a recording. And you can look in there and see it's decorated like it would have been in Poe's time. And so he did get kicked out for gambling, though, right? No, never got kicked out. He was one of the top students. He excelled in ancient modern languages. And he was among the top four students in his French class. So he was a very good student, but when he got sent there, it was the most expensive school in the country. It was $350 a year, and he had $110. That's just ridiculous, but that's the most expensive. Holy smokes. Yeah. That's good money back then. Yeah, absolutely. But he's got to pay this money, but Mr. Allen only gave him $110. Okay. So he's trying to figure out how to squeeze all that money. He needed 160 up front just for room and board for the year. So he's started borrowing and couldn't pay off the money borrowed, so he started gambling. He's about $2,000 in debt after the first nine months and couldn't afford to stay there. Had never paid off his debts from his first term in college, so they wouldn't let him go back. But he had simple expenses like firewood he couldn't afford and laundry cleaning that needed to be done. Right. So a lot of debt collectors came to Richmond asking for these different debts to be paid. Sure. And so he just ended up leaving? Because, I mean, I guess that's another... Yeah, he left and couldn't go back, and they wouldn't let him back until he paid off his debts. I feel like even going to UVA, they even said that he got kicked out for gambling. Am I, did I imagine that? Or does that say that there? Well, they might say that, but it didn't happen. Right. They yeah. found out that he's actually never disciplined while he was there. And a lot of students were disciplined while Poe was there. There were a lot of violent fights, even outside his dorm room. Kids started biting other kids. Yeah. Bit him so many times on his arm that he had to get a chunk of flesh inside of the hand amputated from his arm. And Yikes. There were people, one threw a rock at another one's head, and, and they called in the authorities from Charlottesville to show up and take care of this, and about 50 kids ran off in the woods and hid. Wow. And so Poe was never involved in any of that? No, he never got disciplined for any of it. Huh. And the, uh, ah, okay, and so he, it, that's after, the, after that, he goes, that's when he goes to Boston, yeah. like you said, published that, and then that doesn't work, so he goes yeah. into the military, and, um, 
after he gets kicked out of West Point, he comes back to Richmond and works at the Literary Southern Messenger, right? Well, after West Point, he moved briefly to New York City. Okay. And he shopped around for publishers, and then he moved to Baltimore. And he couldn't move back in with John Allen anymore, so he wrote to his aunt, Mariah Poe Clem. She's mm -hmm. his biological father's sister, and she's living in Baltimore with her mother. And they're living off a pension from the government because her mother's getting a piddly sum each year because her husband, who died by then, had given a lot of his money to help support the Revolutionary War cause. And, mm -hmm. and he was gradually getting paid back something like $230 a year. So that's what they were living off. So it was the grandmother and then the aunt and her daughter and son, mm -hmm. and then Poe's brother, all living in one house. So naturally, Edgar moved in with them. Huh. And then his brother died six months later, and then his cousin Henry, not his brother Henry, but his cousin Henry ended up dying. So then Poe eventually moved back to Richmond and brought his aunt and her daughter down here with him and married his cousin. And Not Henry, though. Yeah. His cousin Virginia. <laughs> and so I was actually, so you kind of like busted some other Poe myths. So but he really, it really is his cousin. Right, right. it's his cousin. Okay. But that's not that I'm... Common yeah, that wasn't uncommon back then. Yeah. A lot of times people in rural areas might know their cousins better than they know other people. And also you want to marry in the same social class, so mm -hmm. a lot of times you would marry cousins. So that wasn't terribly unusual. She was pretty young then, right? Yeah, she was a little bit younger than he was. He was 27 and she was 13. Okay. Now in Virginia, a girl could get married at 12 she had her father's consent. Okay. So it's more like, you know, a 40-year-old man marrying an 18-year-old girl. It would turn some heads, but there wasn't anything illegal about it. And right. The problem was her father died by the time they got married. Okay, so right. They needed somebody to sign the document, mm -hmm. and her brother was also dead. So nobody could consent to the marriage. Her mother was still alive, but she couldn't sign the marriage bond. Right. So he just wrote that she was a full 21 years of age on the marriage bond, so she wouldn't have to get anybody's permission. And he got one of his friends to co-sign the document. Huh. Okay. So, so it sounds pretty strange today, but you know, the women weren't signing these marriage bonds. They were sure. These men signed the documents. But then we think even women being able to vote is a fairly recent phenomenon. Absolutely. In the 1920s. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even after that, not getting any respect. So, um, and so she doesn't live very long. Well, she Virginia, lived right? another 11 years, so she died okay. when she was 24. And she seems to have genuinely loved Edgar at first when he took her in. There's a letter he calls her, my darling cousin, my little wifey, mm -hmm. a little sissy. So he used to call her sissy and... He made sure she had tutors and was properly educated as she grew up and, yeah. and always made sure she had a piano or a harp and he didn't have a lot of money but he made sure she had these instruments to play. Hmm. So he took a lot of pride in making sure she was properly educated when she did grow up, when she did get into her 20s. Now she did love him dearly but then she was sick with tuberculosis and was usually confined to a separate room and one of the things they, they did back then was and keep them in the attic. So there was a little attic room in their home in Philadelphia that's still standing that's supposed to be in Virginia's room because mm -hmm. they thought, well, they didn't know about the germs or anything. They just thought, well, maybe it's dirty air. Right. They should keep her upstairs where the air is cleaner. And eventually they moved out to the countryside and they think, well, the air in the country is cleaner than the air in the city, so maybe that'll help her lungs. Right. Because they knew for some reason she's coughing up blood. 
Yeah. And one of the great cures they came up with back then was just having people sit out in the cold without a coat to sit on the porch in the cold. And, and I might yeah. just give them pneumonia instead. Yeah, yeah. And another good cure they came up with in the 1840s was a doctor decided to send a lot of people to Mammoth Cave for their tuberculosis and they lived underground in a cave for a year. Wow. And they all died. Yeah, yeah. No sunlight. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, six of one, half a dozen yeah. the other. Um, and so does he live in Baltimore that whole 11 years? No, he only lived in Baltimore for about three years in his early 20s and then moved back to Richmond. And, and does she come with him? Yeah, she came with okay. him a year later. So he was here for a little while without her and and decided he needed her, and he heard that another cousin was going to take in Virginia, and he thought he'd never see her again, because this cousin, he really didn't like it, it was Nielsen Poe, and they called Nielsen his worst enemy in the world, and Nielsen had married Virginia's half-sister, Okay. and Nielsen was also Poe's cousin, so a lot of cousins married back then. But Nielsen's a great name for an enemy. Yeah. Like, that's a fantastic enemy name. Yeah, so... He begged Mariah and Virginia to move in with him, so that's why he took in both the aunt and the cousin. Yeah. So it's okay. a ready-made family. He used right. to call the aunt Muddy, like she was his mother. His poem, To My Mother, is dedicated to old Muddy Clem. Okay, fair enough. Um, and so he comes back, and it's around that time he starts working at the Literary Southern Messenger, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and after he left Baltimore, he got a job here. He'd already started sending stories from Baltimore, but then he just moved down here and took on the job as a acting editor. So okay. He didn't really get the pay or the respect he thought he deserved. And he was making salary about $500 a year here, which is pretty good. And yeah. He made an extra 300 by selling his own stories for magazine. And it seems like a little odd that he would have gotten, you know, he's, you know, if you look at his, I mean, he probably didn't hand a resume, but, you know, dropped out of, you know, the military, dropped out of West Point. Drop, you know, can't couldn't finish college. Um, obviously, a clever guy, but I mean, was there like nepotism in there with the Allens, or how, how does the person land? Well, the Allens like weren't going to help him, but he had entered a short story contest, so his writing got him the job. He won a short okay. story contest up in Baltimore. One of the judges was John Kennedy, not the one who became president. Right. But he wrote to the editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, which was struggling, only had circulation of about 500 copies a month, and he said. I know you need some writers for your magazine, and here's this guy who's really writing some great short stories, and you should really give him the chance to post started submitting his stories, and it segued into him getting a job there. Nice. As far as his resume is concerned, according to Poe, he graduated first in his class at UVA, then took off to Europe and fought the Greek Wars of Independence. Really? Captured. Sent to St. Petersburg, Russia, was rescued from there, and edited two magazines in London. He wasn't allowed to tell us the name of those magazines yet. Really? He had a great resume. On and he paper. would just tell everybody that, like, this is this is what I did. Where have yeah. you been? Yeah. I was fighting the Greek Revolution. Yeah. yeah, we actually have a manuscript in our collections that he sent to Rufus W. Griswold, who was writing an article about Poe for his anthology, The Poets and Poetry of America, and he wanted a little bit of biographical information, so he just makes up a lot of it, even has himself born a little bit later so he sounds like more of a child prodigy. Nice. That's awesome. So he was really concerned about his public image. So he's yeah. looking to imitate Lord Byron and Lord Byron's use of the public and creating a persona and suppose very interested in creating a persona and becoming the American Byron, but eventually he became more than American Byron. He became Edgar the Raven Poe. 
Right. And people would go to his house expecting to see a pet raven somewhere. He didn't have a raven, but yeah. <laughs> if you read poetry from the time, other people referred to him as the raven, and they knew that what they were talking about, and they called him the raven. They were talking about Edgar Poe, and they were writing novels where he appears as a character. Right. And even last year, there was a movie called The Raven, right. and it was about Poe. Sure. I um, called that poem My Old Black Bird. Got sick of that one, but that's yeah. what everybody wanted to hear. And uh, I had very low expectations, but it was the better movie than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Was, uh, well, except for the acting and yeah. the historical <laughs> accuracy See, and like the plot. But aside from all that stuff. Yeah, like I said, my expectations yeah. were very low, but it, was, it, it rose above them. Um, and did he, I mean, did Literary Southern Messenger it last for quite a while? Right? Yeah, I mean, did he help it extend, exceed, or...? Yeah, he increased circulation seven times the first 17 months, became the most popular journal in the South, was getting positive reviews both North and South, so he was really starting to get the magazine notice. Mm -hmm. So that's something that really boosted his resume, and for the rest of his career, he would brag about having been the editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, and it lasted until 1864, so it lasted up until the middle of the Civil War. Wow. And... He, only, he doesn't even work there that long now, right? No, he worked there 17 months. 17 that was months. his record for holding a job. That's good. Good for him. That's and sad. then from here he thought, just like a lot of art students, oh, I'll go to New York and I'll do better there. Sure. Because he had you know, magazines up there, he used to work. But then he chose to move up there in 1837, which was the year of the panic of 1837. So it was a recession and a lot of magazines were closing their doors. And he couldn't find that magazine job he was looking for in New York made some extra money by publishing a novel and then published a book on seashells. Eventually he moved to Philadelphia after a year in New York and Philadelphia is where things really started to take off and that's where he published The Telltale Heart, The Black Cat, The Merge in the Room Morgue, The Gold Bug. Right. Those, the Telltale Heart wasn't really a hit. That was, he got $10 for it. The first place he took it didn't want to publish it. The huh. second place he published was one of his friends, James Russell Lowell, owned a magazine, so he paid for it, but really didn't have a lot of money to pay him very much for the story, but right. people at the time thought it was a little bit too intense. Yeah. And, uh, one of the rejection letters said that if they be pleased to send him something a little bit quieter, a little bit less loud, they'd publish it. Wow. But the mysteries, these detective stories, people love, so they mm -hmm. were eager to snatch up those ones, but... Some of the horror stories a little bit more in his stomach. Yeah. And you see, it's, I mean, you know, I guess the reputation that we have now is that, like, I mean, we've already said he's kind of funny, um, you know, fit. Like, the, none of that falls into what the, the pop culture Poe yeah. is. Um, I mean, is he, and you mentioned that he could act scary if he wanted to yeah. later, and, but... I mean, he's still just a regular guy, right? They're yeah, just living right stories. Guy, people at the time thought he was really a hard worker. He would work in the magazine from early until late, just cranking out editorials and book reviews and stories. And so they said he was just constantly working, constantly busy. So he's the opposite of John Cusack in The Raven. Right? In The Raven, he's moping along and he's depressed all the time and... His girlfriend gets abducted and he just sort of whines about it for a while. Right. But in real life, there's a lady murdered in New York City, Mary Rogers. They mm -hmm. found her floating in the Hudson River. The police couldn't figure out what had happened to her. And they back then, they either had to catch you in the act or get a confession. So they brought everybody who knew her in to try to get a confession. Nobody confessed. So the police gave up and said, well, a gang killed her. Wow. And 
Poe is looking the same newspapers everybody else was, and he said, well, obviously a gang didn't kill her. Her body, according to the autopsy, says she's been dragged before she was dumped in the river. So it looks like a, a gang would have picked her up and carried her. Sure. So one person did it. Who was this one person? So he tried to look up all the evidence, and he bragged that he had solved the crime, and the police weren't able to do it, and his story, the mystery, Maria Roger offers his solution to the real-life mystery. So wow. in real life, he was always very inquisitive. There was even a case where somebody brought a chess-playing automaton to yeah. Richmond, and he played chess with it, and he analyzed how it worked, and he found it was this guy hiding inside a box pretending to be a robot. And right, and that thing is crazy, because this thing yeah. went around the world, right, playing yeah. chess, like a, um, dressed up like a Turk. I guess, yeah. I think that's his name, right, Turk? Yeah. And people were just flabbergasted. Yeah, this... Yeah, the fellow who was claimed to be the scientist who invented it, he would, there was the Turk sitting behind a big box that serves as the chess table, and there were three doors on the front of the box, so it would open up one and say, look at all these gears in here, and then he'd close that one, open up the middle and say, look at all these gears. People were amazed, and he tried to explain all the mechanisms that made it work, and he opened up the third door, more gears. But what Poe realized was, first, he only opened up one door at a time. Right. And second, if you look closely, there was a mirror behind those gears making it look like there were really more gears than there were. Right. And he realized, well, the only reason to have a mirror inside the box wasn't to make the machine work. It was to fool the audience. Sure. And he figured out, there was, well, the guy was obviously moving from one side to another as he opened one door. And mm -hmm. he figured out there was a person in there. And he was the first one who really proved it and published it. And I saw some that guy's career. I remember <laughs> did real wrong. Um, so I remember reading about that one time, and uh, I guess there was that someone was saying that they had actually play. He had plagiarized it from other people. The ideas of faking it, but he was like the I guess maybe the most famous or or wrote it the best. Um, that other people had come up with those ideas and written them first, but he had basically popularized it. I guess. Well, one thing he did was in his essay about he calls attention to the other people's theories about how it works, and he says, well, I can debunk this one and debunk that okay. one. And he says, well, this is a theory that seems to be the best, but nobody's proven it yet, and here's my proof. Okay, awesome. That's, uh, I like that. I like that. Um, the, uh, but he's also not, uh, you know, opiate head and drunk either. That That's like one of the other things, right? That would yeah. constantly, I mean, he, he apparently did have a drink in his life. But, I mean, you mentioned yeah. he was a, a member of a temperance movement. Yeah, he seemed to have been some intolerance of alcohol. It seemed to be hereditary because they say his sister would get drunk off a thimble full of whiskey and he would get drunk off a glass of wine, be staggering drunk home over for days afterwards. Huh. So that's why eventually he did join the Sons of Temperance. Mm-hmm. And when is that going on? That's 1849. That's yeah. So before that, if he had anything to drink... He just make a fool of himself, get a complete personality change after one drink, and that's why his wife and his mother-in-law encouraged him to stay away from alcohol because, you know, he couldn't be productive when he did that. So his works weren't really inspired by drugs or alcohol because he was bedridden after he did anything like that. Right. So people who worked with him said that he didn't really see him drunk, and the only times he seemed to really drink were when he was very depressed. And he talks about when his wife is dying, and he said, "I." became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. So in that time, sanity or seeing what his wife was like, seeing what was going on in the real world was such a horrible thing that he would rather drink to escape it 
but then his mother-in-law is always there to go and drag him back home. And, right. Uh, towards the end, he was arrested for drunkenness when he apparently hadn't been drinking. So some people think, well, maybe he was diabetic and perhaps huh. was going on. Maybe that would also explain his inability to drink too much. Yeah. But there was this was spread even during his lifetime. One of his enemies, Thomas Dunn English, wrote a novel where Poe appears as a character who's Marmaduke Hammerhead, the drunken <laughs> author of The Black Crow. Right, okay. So he's making fun of Poe's big forehead by calling him Hammerhead. Yeah, and that's a heck of a name, too, Marmaduke Hammerhead. And then after Poe died, his enemy Rufus Griswold wrote a nice little biographical sketch portraying Poe as a madman, drunkard, womanizing, opiumatic, with no morals, a really evil, horrible person. But even Thomas on English, his other enemy, had to confess, well, I've known Poe for years. I've been in his house. I never saw any evidence that he was an opium addict. Wow. I guess that's why you don't want to um, be such a jerk to everybody, yeah. to all the other writers, huh? Yeah, it might come back to haunt you. Yeah, that's right. Well, you just well, you try to outlive him if you can. Yeah, yeah, that helps. And um, I mean, I guess that's a great way to say. It. I mean, how does he? I mean, he comes back to Richmond though, right? Because like he, he wrote the Raven, and he comes back to Richmond at some point after that, right? Um, I mean, because he writes, writes the Raven in New York, gets all kinds of famous. I guess we kind of skipped ahead a little there, yeah. and then uh, back to Richmond, right? Yeah. So in Richmond, he was here. The summer of 1848 and the summer of 1849, mm -hmm. and he was trying to reestablish ties with the Southern Literary Messenger. Its new editor, John Thompson, was publishing some of his essays and reviews, and he also met John Daniel, who was another editor, mm -hmm. and he was publishing some of Poe's poetry, and he's trying to start his own magazine called The Stylus. Okay. And so he's raising money, and he wrote to his old uncle, Edward Valentine, asking him for some money to help support The Stylus. He's also looking for a new wife. His wife died back in January of 1847, so he he had some women in mind, mm -hmm. and one of them was a lady in Lowell, Massachusetts, where he gave some lectures, and she was already married with leave her husband for him. Then there was a poet in Providence, Rhode Island, who'd already written him fan mail. She'd written a poem dedicated to him on Valentine's Day, so he thought that would be perfect. Mm -hmm. But her mother threatened to disinherit her she married Poe. Okay. So he's still got this bad reputation. And eventually they broke off. They did get engaged for a month before she broke it off. So okay. then he came back to Richmond and here he found that his old first fiance, Elmira Royster Shelton, was available, so he got back to go with her. And then he died 10 days before they would have gotten married. Oh, wow. He found a financial backer for his magazine was willing to pay for it and hope he'd get started. He just was raising money, he was selling subscriptions already for it. He'd issued a prospectus for it. So everything was starting to go his way and then he died. That's terrible. And um, before we even talk about the, how he died, the uh, John Daniels, I've heard the story, I can't remember where I read the story that Daniels writes a bad review about Poe and then Poe shows up and like sticks a gun in the door or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Poe showed up at his office one day and Daniels looks up and Poe's pointing a gun in his face. <laughs> and Daniels says, why don't you sit down and have a drink with me instead? So they became sort of friends after that. Yeah, I like that. And they, uh, 
Did he end up working for Daniels? No, he, did, no, he published just... some of his poetry for him, and he sent him the last authorized version of The Raven. So he always made changes to his poetry, so Daniels paid him $5 for a final authorized version of The Raven. Okay. It sounds like a pretty weird story, and you could almost dismiss it, but then in a letter Poe wrote to his mother-in-law the next year, he wrote about Daniels and said, he's the man I challenged last year. Okay, nice. So apparently he did go there and challenge him. Yeah. But Daniels sort of whooshed out. Right, right. And later Daniels at least got into maybe five or more duels with other people. Okay. So I think maybe it was partially Daniels' fault. Because, I mean, journalists got in a lot of duels. I mean, that was like, that was kind of the way they rolled. I mean, yeah, did Poe ever duel anyone else, or was that like... Well, there was, he tried to have a duel up in New York. There was a fellow, a big scandal up there. He would have fight to these literary soirees, and ladies would send him love poetry. And, and there's a lady, Elizabeth Ellett, who would send him love poetry. And he's still married, and she's married. Mm -hmm. So he'd take the poetry back home and give it to his wife, and she and her friend, Frances Osgood, would laugh at it together. And apparently, Mrs. Ellett stopped by Poe's house and saw them laughing at her poetry and was horrified. So right. she said she'd seen an indiscreet letter from Fanny Osgood to Poe lying on a table in his house. If you're a gentleman, he would never accept poetry from married ladies because he's a married man, and how could he do that? And she sent a delegation of ladies from this literary soiree, and this group of literary ladies stopped by his house and said, Give us back all the letters that Fanny Osgood has ever sent you. So naturally, Poe said, Well, Mrs. Ellett, you're worried about the things she's been sending me. So now Mrs. Ellett's busted and she's humiliated. Right. And her brother, her husband's already estranged from her by this time, so she sent her brother to Poe's house to beat him up. And Poe got in a fight with him and challenged him to a duel. He didn't have a pistol, so he couldn't have a duel. So he went back to Thomas Dunn English. Okay. who wasn't his enemy yet and ended up getting a fight with English too never got the pistols couldn't have the duel wow um, and uh, how because I guess that's the other story part of it and we already say he didn't drink and do opiates but that's like people always say he was you know, OD'd I mean is that like what does and it seems to be mystery about why he died right I mean that's yeah so I mean he goes back to Baltimore and yeah he just, was on his way, he's about to get married here. He wants to get his Aunt Mariah from New York and bring her back down here for the wedding. He also has an editing assignment in Philadelphia. He's going to add to a book of poetry, take a couple days, get paid $100, so it's a good deal. So he catches a steamship from Richmond, and that would have taken him to Baltimore, where he's going to catch a train up to Philadelphia. Okay. So it's a two-day journey, and most of it's that boat ride and the train just a few hours, but then he disappeared for five days and when he was found he was semi-conscious dressed in somebody else's clothes and they were cheap ill-fitting clothes nothing like the nice clothes he always used to wear and he's found at Ryan's fourth ward polls it was a municipal election going on and Ryan's fourth ward polls was known for the practice of cooping a place where they saw people getting off the boat they didn't recognize they beat them up drug them and keep them cooped up until election day and then have them vote again and again for the candidate, just changing their clothes each time. Wow. So within a decade of Poe's death, the cooping theory spread about what happened to him, but we're not really sure what happened to him. When he was found, he was picked up, he was asked if he knew anybody in Baltimore, so he asked for a magazine editor named Joseph Snodgrass. Snodgrass 
offer to take Poe to his uncle Henry, another Henry, this time Henry Herring, and Henry said, I don't really care what you do with him, but I don't want him in my house. So then they took him to the hospital where he spent four days. At first they took him to the tower where they took the drunks, let him sober up, but then the doctor said he didn't smell of alcohol, didn't appear to have been drinking. His attending physician was named John Moran. Okay. And he looked after Poe for the next four days and said he was delirious and in and out of consciousness, talking to shadows in the wall, and wasn't making any sense. Eventually Poe died is. He woke up and screamed the name Reynolds over and over again. We don't know who Reynolds was. But huh. he called down his last words were, Lord, help my poor soul. And wow. He was, died at the age of 40. The doctors just ascribed it to a case of congestion of the brain. So something's going on with his brain there. Right. We don't know what. One of the theories was maybe it was a brain tumor or some kind of head trauma, maybe a high fever. Huh. And the change of clothes. Some people said, well, maybe... We do know from the newspapers that reported that it was cold and rainy the day he got to Baltimore. Maybe his clothes were soaking wet and he had to find some cheap second-hand clothes to wear and that's why his clothes were cheap and didn't fit. So there's all these theories or maybe when he was at the polling place, he was stepping in, it was also in a tavern, maybe he was spending the night at that tavern and somebody found there and beat him up. Or Right. Do you have one theory that you like or well, believe more? Well, the simplest theory seems to be that even before he left Richmond, we know his doctor said he had a fever. So maybe he left here with the flu, had a really bad flu. Maybe when he got to Baltimore, being in the cold and the rain, made his condition even worse. Maybe the high fever and the flu contributed to it. But the brain tumor theory is also really popular. Huh. Okay. It's lame for him, just as everything was going great. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about life. Don't know what you're getting out of a life. That's true. It's absolutely true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's, I mean, is there, I, I want to overcome a lot of the, the uh, myths of Poe that I thought, that I work with. I mean, are there uh, any other awesome ones that you hear all the time that are just are not true at all or that people come in saying or? I'm sure there probably are some. Yeah. But they probably covered the big ones. Yeah. But people come in and think, oh yeah, he did opium or he was on heroin. And right. Heroin wasn't so popular back then. Right. <laughs> and, so. uh, and opium was kind of their aspirin back then, you know, toothache or headache or backache, you know. Sure. So opium would take care of it. And they called the, the religion the opium of the people. That was saying that it was something that did help you out. It was right. something that, you know, took care of your pain. It was a good thing. Sure. You know? Huh. Now we think of that as kind of an insult to religion, but back then it was sort of complimenting religion in its role. Yeah. Huh. Well, I like that. I, mean, I think we pretty much covered most of it. Okay. And uh, that's fantastic. I appreciate that. I did appreciate it, and it was fantastic as far as I'm concerned. Did you enjoy it? Did you? Let me know on uh, Facebook. I'm on Tumblr as well. History Replays today. Also check it out on Twitter, at History Replays. The next episode is going to feature um, Patrick Henry as portrayed by Kevin Grant from St. John's Church in Church Hill. Uh, definitely don't forget to go by and check out Poe in Paris at the, at the Poe Museum. You just pop in there for a visit sometime. And make sure you make it a great day.